Good morning, everyone. Yeah, it's so good to see you all. What a blessing. So as some of you might know, we do have a barbecue following the service today, so stick around for that. It should be a great time. Um, and also, Good Friday is coming up, so that's 7, yeah, 7 April, and that's at 9 a.m. here, and uh, then Sunday is at the normal time, Easter Sunday at 10 a.m. So look forward to celebrating uh, Jesus, his demonstration of love by his death on the cross and his resurrection, showing his power over sin and death that he's given to us by his grace. So how good is our God? He is awesome. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for sending Jesus, the light of the world, to shine bright into dark hearts and a dark world, a world sitting, waiting destruction. And you have come, and you have caused light to shine. You have given us new life. You have given us an abundant life by your grace. And so we pray as we open your word today, it would be a feast for our souls that we would benefit greatly from it that it would fall on prepared hearts and produce much fruit for your glory, that we would remember the things we read and take them to heart and uh, meditate upon them and put them into practice day by day as we trust you. Thank you that you are with us, that we don't need to wonder if you're with us, but we can know you're with us because you have promised and we have seen your hand uh, throughout our lives, guiding us, protecting us, providing for all our needs. So we praise and thank you, Lord, for your, your awesomeness and goodness to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 39 is where we are today. If you'll turn there, years ago I remember seeing a clip of some monks transporting a large idol up to the, a temple at the top of a mountain. And there was all this, there was great care taken to cover it with protective cloths and strap it down and the truck driver was a little bemused by the situation. He just says, so this is your God. The guy's like, yep. And it, it seemed odd that you would trust in a God that's so burdensome that needs to be carried and protected. And it's like, it can't prevent dust from accumulating on it. It can't even dust itself. And yet you want it to protect you. You want it to help you. And if it can't keep rats from gnawing on it or fix the damage done by water or mold, well, it stands to reason that it's just as attentive and powerful over your life than itself. So I just remember that, that truck driver being like, huh, strange. But we too can, uh, our, our hearts can be idle factories where we uh, put faith and trust in things that can't save us or help us. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was different than all other gods that were imagined or fashioned by man's design because he's a living God. He created the heavens and the earth. He spoke everything into existence. And everything that man does, God does infinitely more and better because man was created in his image. He breathed life into man. And he's the one who carries us. He's the one that protects us. He's the one that guides and guards us. And Moses knew that God did the carrying. God did the protecting. And it wasn't the other way around. It wasn't like when they carried the Ark of the Covenant, they were transporting God. They were following his presence. That was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were led by him. And this is a conversation that Moses had with God in Exodus 33, 14, and 15, 
God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. So God's presence went with his people. And Moses knew that. And he says, I value your presence so much. If, you're, if you don't go with us where you're going or where you want us to go, don't lead us from here. We want to be where you are. We want to be in your presence all the time. God did the giving. God did the promising. God brought them. And how blessed we are that we have a Savior, Jesus, who will never leave or forsake us, that he is with us because the Holy Spirit fills us. He inhabits us by his grace. So last week, we had a brief detour with Judah and Tamar. Now we return to the life of Joseph. This narrative where he had been sold by his brothers to uh, Ishmaelite traders, and then he was sold as a slave in Egypt. So we pick up our text in Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ish- bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had put under his all that he had he put under his authority. Joseph was taken to Egypt. He was sold to a wealthy man named Potiphar, an Egyptian. It says he was an officer, the captain of the guard or captain of the executioners. So he was a man of authority and power. And his name had religious significance. It meant devoted or belonging to the sun. And the sun is a god that was worshipped by the Egyptians. Now the god Joseph worshipped was the lord of Egypt, the lord of all, the one who made the sun. And the lord was with Joseph even as a slave. And God was not like a robe that could be ripped from his shoulders or a trinket that could be lost, but God accompanied him. God was with him. And his presence wasn't just like a feeling that he had. There was practical proof of his presence by his prosperity and success at whatever he put his hand to do. And Potiphar saw that. He's like, the Lord is with this man. The success of Joseph, it rested not primarily, but entirely on God's presence and power. It wasn't because he was a a brilliant man, but it wasn't because of his brilliance. It was just because of God, God with him. He observed, Potiphar did, that Joseph was a successful man. He flourished in the pursuit of what he attempted to do and the good things he intended to do, he, he did. He was able to accomplish them and his ability was shown in his effort and then the results. Potiphar, seeing that the Lord was with Joseph and made him to prosper, reminds me of Laban when he looked at Jacob and he says, you know, the Lord has blessed me for your sake. He could recognize that. And would to God that he would receive the credit for our prosperity or success, that people would look at us and say, you know what? That person is prosperous because the Lord is with them. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. That's why they prosper in everything they put their hand to do. Rather than just being annoyed at it, glorifying God for it. It's like tasks others procrastinated or didn't even think to do. Joseph put his hand to them and he did them. 
because God was with him. It said that Joseph, he found favor in Potiphar's sight. In verse four, it says he served Potiphar and in time he rose to the ranks to be his personal assistant and then overseer of everything he possessed, his house, his property. All that he owned was under the authority of Joseph. And it's really a remarkable rise when you think about it. He was 17 years old when he was sold as a slave, not speaking the language, no family, no connections. As a slave, he, he begins to have favor in the eyes of Potiphar and he just is put in authority of all of Potiphar's house and over all of Potiphar's servants because the Lord was with him. And his rise, it didn't come through the ways that we think people's success comes through education or assertiveness or ambition. Faithful service to God and to his master, that's how he rose in the ranks. It's like he didn't have a lot of the things we would connect with success today, like money or sizable superannuation or property. He was successful because God was with him. Verse five, so it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. From the time that Joseph was put over the goods and property of Potiphar, it says the Lord blessed Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. It's like the blessing of God was on everything in the house, everything out in the field. There was like all the stores that were kept, they would open them and wow, they're in great condition. The, uh, it's like the fields were producing, the flocks were multiplying, trees are bearing fruit and everything is going really well. And there was a huge change from before Joseph being there till after Joseph came. And it wasn't because Joseph had a, a master's degree in animal husbandry or hospitality or he was a certified personal assistant or a degree in management, nothing. It's because God was with him, he made him to prosper. It's like Potiphar did not need to crack the whip. He wasn't like, He's like, Joseph's a bit sus. I need to go and look into his dealings and his, like, there's no, he, he's like, I don't need to know about anything except what's for dinner and dessert. That's all I need to know. What are we having to eat today? Because he trusted him. He was trustworthy. He served him faithfully. And those in HR today who are looking for employees say, where are the Josephs? Where can I find a Joseph. All these hires, they're just not working out. But where can I find one like him? Well, every time you look in the mirror, follower of Jesus Christ, you are that person. You are the one that God is with. That God will bless the works of your hands wherever you go and whatever you do because he is with you. That could be a bit of a shock. But that's the reality. Our love of God, it's... It's shown by loving our brother and our faithfulness to the Lord in service can be shown in our faithfulness to our boss or in, our, in the workplace. That can demonstrate our submission to the Lord. 
And so this principle of the Lord's blessing, it remains to this day in families, houses, workplaces, schools, cities, because of one God-fearing person in a relationship with the living God. One person makes a big difference, not because of them, but because of God with them. Joseph suffered. He suffered the betrayal of his brothers. He was separated from his family. He was sold as a slave. His life was literally not his own. But the household where he worked was blessed. One might think, like, as a slave, what is the only blessing? It's being free. But he was prosperous. He was successful as a slave because God was with him. And you might be in a situation where you're thinking, well, as soon as I tick this box, then I can be prosperous. I can be successful when I have that certification, when I have that degree, or when I have this career that's now established, then I can really be of use. Then my life will start going in the direction I want it to go. Rubbish, based upon this passage, because we should be doing our current job as unto the Lord, serving him where we are, knowing that the Lord is with us. When we pray, God be with me, we do so not wondering if he's going to answer, but we know it's his will. We know it's his promise. In one sense, it's a prayer that does not have to be prayed because he said so. But we pray in agreement that he is going to be with us. So like, Lord, be with me when this happens. Well, he's like, have I ever left you? Have I ever forsaken you? Of course not. We can say, Lord, thank you that you are with me rather than be with me begging that he not leave us. When he's saying, I'm with you. I will never leave or forsake you. So trust me, obey me. And that testimony that Joseph had, we can have as well, that God would receive the glory for our success. Now, verse six, it tells us that Joseph was a handsome and well-built man, is the way it's put. Uh, he, he arrived at the age of 17. He matured over the years and we know, so a little bit of a spoiler, we know that at one stage, when he's 30 years old, he became second in command under Pharaoh. He was 30 then. He spent two years in prison before that, so he was 28. We go back to 17 when he was sold. We know he was 11 years in the house of Potiphar. So this, these few verses that we've read, that's 11 years of working in Potiphar's house. Now, God in his youth had revealed his future in two dreams that he would be in a position of authority, that even his father and his brothers would bow before him. But see, there were lessons that Joseph needed to learn. And God was faithful to use his time as a slave, even the pain and suffering of being separated from his family and things that he learned in Potiphar's house and later in prison that God would redeem for his glory. He would prepare and train him for what he lay ahead. And God's plans had nothing to do with Joseph's aspirations or interests. It was God's plan. It was God's purpose. God was planning through him to make, to save a nation, to save himself and his own people. That had not entered into Joseph's mind yet. So take heart, believer. When you feel like you're toiling in a job and there's no upward mobility, there's no upward mobility as a slave, you might feel like you're being treated like a slave, but by God's grace, you can be a blessing right where you are because God is with you. In your studies, in your profession, in your ministry unto the Lord. 
And God would use Joseph's labors in managing a household to overseeing the agriculture of a nation. And we see this with other people too, like Moses. He's trained in Pharaoh's house. At the age of 40, he flees and he tends his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. But God was working in him and through him to guide his people to shepherd them out of Egypt and into the promised land. He led them through the wilderness for 40 years. David, he spoke of his experiences fighting a lion and a bear. And so he had courage to face Goliath when no one else would. And then he has this ragtag bunch of fellas that are with him, hundreds of men, that he goes from leading them to governing a nation. So God is so wise in the way that he prepares and trains us and it's awesome to even see God's hand at work in my own life. I, I remember back when I came out of high school, I went into uni and did two years focusing on English, only to go into a trade for 11 years. Where it's like, huh, I, I guess that all that English and poetry and fiction writing, I don't know what that's going to do for me. Understanding sentence structure. But then it's like, then 11 years later, I was called into church ministry and to be a youth pastor out of that. And I've used the English training has served me very well since then because I write all the time. So it's like God knows what he's doing. I have no idea what he's doing, but he is, I can know that what he's doing is good and that he will use the circumstances of our life to bring glory and honor to him in the future that we can't even imagine for ourselves. But you know, there's no substitute for having God with you because all the training, all the preparation, all the effort, it cannot accomplish anything that God does. God does it. Praise him for that. Genesis 39 verse seven. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph's handsome looks, it drew the attention of Potiphar's wife. And she did more than just look lustfully at him. She propositioned him. She actually commanded him as a subordinate, sleep with me. And it's likely that many slaves would have felt, well, she's the boss. I have no choice in this situation. But Joseph wisely refused her advances. I like what Spurgeon said. He wrote, slavery itself was a small calamity compared with that which would have happened to young Joseph had he been enslaved by wicked passions. So Joseph tries reasoning with her. He says, look, I've, I have this authority and responsibility in my master's house. I am loyal to him. He's given me authority over everything. How could I betray him? How could I sin against him? But he notices that it's not, he doesn't even talk about Potiphar as much as how could I do this great wickedness against God? How could I sin like that against God? So he's not even entertaining the idea of a tryst with a married woman he recognized adultery as great wickedness even before the law was given. Now, many people, they dabble 
or are given over to sin because they blur the, the boundary. They're like, well, it may, it's probably not a sin. Is it really a sin? It's a gray area. Now, if you guys ever watch baseball and you watch the beginning of the game, you'll notice that around where the batters uh, set up their stance, there is chalk lines on the ground. And the rule, for those of you who don't know, that if you contact the ball with the bat, when your foot is out of the box, you are automatically out. What you will notice is that people at a high level, the first thing the batsman will do is he'll get into the box and he will start brushing that chalk and moving it around. And by the third or fourth inning, there will not even be a line in the back because everyone has kind of blurred that line so they can move closer and closer back to the catcher so that they can have an advantage. We can do that with sin. We can start blurring that line a bit. And so we begin to transgress. And we can justify transgressing because I'm not out of the box. Where is the box? It's not even clear anymore. We should never do that with sin. We have a conscience. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We ought to see a little sin as great wickedness before God so we might avoid it, not toe the line. Or you just want to get closer and closer until our foot's over the line. Now, Joseph, he recognized his sin was against God. It was opposed to God. And in my own life, and I think it's common, that our, cho- our choosing to avoid sin can be selfishly motivated. For instance, you may see something with a warning like NSFW, not safe for work. The, the, and the idea is this isn't something you want to view at work. Fine to view on your own which is dubious, but uh, you, probably a lie. But it's, this should not be seen at work because it could make you look bad. It could get you fired. You could be reprimanded and be embarrassed because everyone knows what you're looking at. So not safe for work. Joseph's motivation, it wasn't like, well, not on the job, not when I'm on the clock. It wasn't about him losing his job, about her having a damaged marriage. I might catch an STI or have an unwanted pregnancy. That wasn't his motive. He said, no, because this is great wickedness before God. God has shown what is right and we must follow him. And so Joseph was adamant. Even in his his role as a slave, he said, no. If we just view sin as potentially harmful to us, which it is, we miss the point entirely. Sin is a great offense before God. He's a righteous judge of all. And because, though he was a slave, Joseph didn't need to be a slave to sin because the Lord was with him, because the Lord would help him. Now, Paul wrote in Romans 7 that the commandments of God made sin exceedingly sinful. So our conscience, we know when we have sinned. God has spelled it out for us so that we can know that it's really, really sin. It's all black and white for us to see. He's also given us the Holy Spirit. The Bible says convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So God's searching gaze, it looks beyond our external behavior. He looks at our hearts. David's men, they urged him to kill King Saul when he had the opportunity. They go, this is your chance to take care of Saul, who's been pursuing you to destroy you. And David said, this is a sin to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. But he took his sword or his dagger and he cut the corner of his robe. And it says his heart smote him. 
So instead of feeling happy, like, you know, I had the chance to kill him, I didn't. He felt guilty because he had even damaged his clothing. And he never did such a thing before. Again, the next time he took his jug away and said, oh, here's your jug and spear to show that he had opportunity, but he had no ill will towards his king. It's not enough just to avoid murder or avoid adultery, but we need to choose to do what's right in God's eyes. And we can perpetuate our own struggles with sin when we're just trying to not do what's wrong, when we haven't taken steps to do what's right. Now, unbelievers, they don't have the ability to say no to sin. As Christians, we can because God is with us, because Jesus has overcome the power of sin and death. So having been set free from sin, I really like the New Living Translation of Romans 6, 12, and 13. It shows really strongly that it's a choice for us. It says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but you, now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. We have a choice. We're called and empowered to say no to sin and to give ourselves completely to God. And if we will not do what is right, we will be given over to sin. It's inevitable. Genesis 39, 10. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left her gar his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. All right. So the wife of Potiphar, she's persistent in her advances, right? Day by day. And he was on the lookout for her. He's like, all right, she is got me in her sights. So I'm going to try to avoid being around her. And she's like, just lurking, waiting for an opportunity that she can seize. And it struck me how her behavior is a really good illustration of the temptation to sin. It can like be temptation is pursuing us. And it speaks to our need or our desire. It flatters us. Really, it's trying to get us in bed with sin. That's what's happening. Joseph was able to stand strong day by day and say no when Samson, the strongest man who lived, caved. It said that when Delilah asked him day by day, daily pestering him with tears, that he, he was vexed to death. He's like, my soul is vexed to death. And so he just blurted out everything. Here's a man that killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He caved. He could not, his resolve could not hold up. He had the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't walking in the spirit. He had already gone to bed with her. He was in love with this woman. He was in love with his sin. And so he was powerless in the face of temptation to stand strong. There was a spiritual problem that Samson had that he was 
physically powerless to resist. He didn't even know when the Holy Spirit left him. But Joseph, we see standing strong. He was faithful to the Lord. He said no to sin because he had already said yes to God. He was serving him. He didn't listen to her. He didn't sleep with her. He didn't even hang around her. And so he was 28 years old, a virgin. He's going to work. None of the other men are in the house. Potiphar's wife, she grabs him and she says, sleep with me. And the previous time he reasoned with her, but this time he was not hanging around. He ran and his clothes were left behind in the lady of the house's grip. So for the second time, his clothes were ripped for his body and were used to deceive others, right? The first time his coat of many colors was ripped from him and was uh, destroyed and dipped in blood and said, oh, is this, hey dad, is this your son's coat? Oh, he's surely dead. And now she's like, all right, I'm keeping this as evidence that he tried to assault me. He tried to rape me in the house and wait until Potiphar gets home. She summons the men of the house. Now, these were people under the authority of Joseph. And she gets them on her side. And she, she blames Potiphar. She says, look what he's done. He's brought this Hebrew into our house to mock us. I have no doubt she played upon the envy of these local men who wanted Joseph's authority for themselves. To this point, only Abraham had been called a Hebrew. He's called the Hebrew, which connects him with worshiping the same God as Abraham did. So fed up with her advances, being rejected, she used his clothes as evidence. He did exactly as she had been begging him to do, but she fought back. Think of Joseph. He was so convinced that it was great wickedness to sleep with her that he escaped by running away. It's like he was willing to endure the humiliation of being stripped naked and falsely accused than be a slave to sin. There's a time to stand our ground like Jesus did on the word of God when tempted by the devil. And there's also a time to flee. And we see that Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15 and 16. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. But, show, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Then if you skip to verse 22, it says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Being immersed in the truth of scripture, obeying it, it prepares us when we're put on the spot and tempted to lie tempted to gossip, to indulge in sexual lust. We're to flee from those things, but pursue. So you're fleeing from one thing, but you're really pursuing another. It's not just fleeing aimlessly like, I've got to go anywhere but here. No, we need to pursue things. It says righteousness, faith, love, and peace with other Christians. That is to be our pursuit. Christ is our pursuit, and we follow him together. If we try to flee from sin without pursuing Christ, without obeying him, we will end up back in the ditch. And I have a short video that illustrates this well. If we could bring that up, I think it's pretty uh, appropriate. Yay.
It's like that sheep was on autopilot. He's like, I'm free. And they're like, had, had no, but that's like us. We are, if we're on autopilot, if we're not listening to the shepherd, if we're not going his way, right? I, I don't know what that man's role was, but I think he would have been in much better off the sheep following the voice of the shepherd than just trotting back into the ditch because ultimately that's where you will end up, back in the ditch of sin. If a Christian is falling back into the ditch, it's evidence that we have chosen to listen to ourselves or someone else rather than Jesus who leads us in the right way. And for some of us, we've had experiences in our lives where we go, well, resistance is futile. I have tried resisting sin. I have failed many, many times. And so I might as well just get it over with so I can go on with my life. Now, this is a, a lie. It's a perspective of one in bondage to sin. But please turn to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Jesus was tempted, and he used the word of God to withstand Satan's lies. This is the same word here. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Satan tempts us to sin. With every temptation, God is faithful to make a way of escape. Our desire to sin, it can originate in our minds and in our bodies that can be persistently drawn or bent towards sin like Potiphar's wife was to Joseph. That's kind of like our flesh. It will pursue sin. It will seek it out. But the Bible's clear. It's God's will. We avoid sin, sexual or otherwise. We learn to keep our bodies in holiness and honor, not in lust or passion. So this way that I wonder if we will be willing to be as undignified as Joseph was in his avoidance of sin, right? It was, it was a pretty embarrassing moment to be running outside and go, I just think I saw Joseph run naked out of the house. What was that about? Joseph, what, what was going on? Oh, well. And he told the truth. Because God was with Joseph, avoiding sin was possible. Avoiding sin was bearable. And Jesus is the way God has provided. And the indwelling spirit guides us into truth to be God's faithful witnesses. Picking up in verse 17. Then she spoke to him, Potiphar, with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant who you brought to us came in to mock me, came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Potiphar arrives home. His wife produces the clothes, Joseph's clothes, unmistakably, and she tells him her version of events. And she says, and notice she blames him again, like, you brought that Hebrew into this house, and look at what's happened. You know, I was in the house, minding my own business, and he tried to take advantage of me. I screamed and scared him off. I, I have his clothing here to prove it. And it says he bristled with anger when she said, your servant, your servant who you brought in, it was an indictment against him. 
And based on the action Potiphar took, it, it tells me that he wasn't entirely convinced that Joseph was guilty of this accusation. The word had already gone throughout the whole household of what had happened by Potiphar's wife, and he could not risk uh, losing face by siding with a slave over his own wife. In that day, uh, adultery was considered a religious crime. It was punished by death, sometimes uh, mutilation. That was a much more common punishment than incarceration. So Joseph was indispensable for the house, but he was expendable because of Potiphar's honor and the honor of his wife. So instead of executing him, of castrating him, he put him in prison. He wasn't convicted of a crime. He, there was no sentence. He was just put into prison indefinitely. And that would be really tough. But look at the Lord here in Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph's brothers threw him in a pit. Potiphar threw him in prison. And one might think it's humanly impossible to endure such injustice and hardship without giving up, without lashing out in anger, without having some debilitating depression his situation had changed, but God remained the same. God was with him. He was with him in his father's house. He was with him in the pit. He was with, with him in prison. God was with Joseph. He showed him mercy. He gave him favor in the eyes of the jailer. And the keeper of the prison, he commits all authority. It's and very similar to previous, right? It's like he didn't even check up on him. He didn't even look into anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and made it to prosper. We know that it wasn't because he's like, oh, we've got a prisoner that's come in who's had a lot of managerial experience with Potiphar. He's put in a letter of recommendation. No, because of God. God was with him. God was merciful. God made him to prosper. It made me think, well, how much do I value the mercy and grace of God who is with us? Would we rather be a Potiphar a man with a wife and power and money and property and servants without the presence of God or Joseph as a slave or in a prison with nothing that the world values, but God was with him. This passage is a testimony of God's faithfulness in a house and a world filled with temptation, sin, and an adversary, the devil, and for all the suffering and pain that he in experienced, God provided consolation. God caused him to prosper. He didn't need a change of scenery to prosper. He prospered wherever he went because the Lord, the God of all, was with him. We, we read of a lot of prosperous and successful people in this passage. Potiphar, he was a successful officer. His wife, she was successful in getting rid of Joseph. But Joseph was the most successful because God was with him. He successfully avoided great wickedness and God made all that he did to prosper. So what is your idea of success and prosperity? 
Is it having a lucrative career, being famous, or owning a house or property? If so, you're aiming at the wrong things. Because wherever the Lord places us, let us be those who choose to refuse sin and follow Jesus doing what he has said. Because that is prosperity. That is prosperity that will last forever. Jesus, he's called Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. And he will never leave or forsake us. And so if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us. We are to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord. Just turn to this last verse in Psalm 105, verse 17 through 19. Even though Joseph suffered great, we can go, well, you know, maybe it wasn't that bad. I mean, he, he had a great position. He had authority. He had a great job as a slave. And we can minimize his discomfort because the Bible doesn't explicitly say it in the Genesis passage. But know that he suffered a lot, yet God was with him. And wherever there's suffering, God being with us ought to be more important because it is. Psalm 105, 17, it says, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Joseph, God sent Joseph. He sent him as a slave to be a slave in Potiphar's house. God laid him in irons. And if you had seen his feet, if you had seen the damage done to his ankles by those shackles that he was forced to wear, you would have pity on him. But know that God loved him. God was with him. God helped him. God tested and refined him, it says here, for his purposes to save others. In Potiphar's house or in prison, Joseph lacked no good thing because God was with him. And I'm here to tell you today that the prosperity that Joseph enjoyed by God's grace is yours today and always because the Lord is with you, believer. But will we pursue him? Will we choose to honor him rather than pursuing sin? And so may God reveal to me and to us all levels of unbelief that lead to sin and futility where we really don't believe God is God. We don't believe he's that powerful to help us right where we are. We wonder where he's gone when he's with us. Our God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Does that sound like something that we've heard before that Jesus said? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And he says, take up this yoke. Come alongside me. Follow me. I will give you rest. Our rest is found in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And let's follow him. Let's trust him. Even in pain, even in uncertainty, what a God we serve. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness that you allow even pain and suffering to accomplish your good purposes, that you are a redeemer, you are a savior, and you are with us. Thank you that you do not leave us like that wandering sheep that fell into the ditch. You pull us out of that place 
And I pray that we would be wise to hear your voice and to follow you. You say, Jesus, that your sheep hear your voice and you know them and they follow you. Lord, may we be among your faithful servants who hear your word and obey, who choose to reject sin as great wickedness before God, that we might be successful in avoiding it and doing the things that please you. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the value of God with us, how you have provided everything we need for life and godliness, how you have given us yourself and how you are enough. Lord, increase our faith, fill us with your spirit, and give us great joy in all seasons of life because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.